If you're lost in the woods, running doesn't help. I'll say that again. If you're lost in the woods, running doesn't help. This was the quote that was the opening salvo of my conversation with today's guest. As we talk about what it's like to be a CMO in an organization in transition and how to lead, how to drive, and how to build that coalition to help you transition your organization, all today on the podcast. Welcome to the Founders Place Podcast, the place where exceptional founders grow. Now here's your host, Todd Wills. Todd Wills. Hello, welcome to the podcast. Very excited to have Eric on. Eric is a transitional CMO, a CMO who helps organizations transition and move through various different changes in culture and market. He's been doing this for years and his natural native curiosity helps him find ways to move through and help organizations move through those transitional changes. As I said with the intro, I loved his quote of, if you're lost in the woods, running doesn't help. It's a fantastic way of looking at the marketplace and thinking just going faster and just trying to move through this isn't always the best way. Taking a step back, finding your place in the market, understanding what your customers need. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm going to let Eric sell all of this because he says it much better than I do. So with that, let's take it away, Eric. Eric, who are you and why the heck are you here? Hey, Todd. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, my name's Eric Dewar, and uh, I guess I'm here because uh, I've had a, quite a few different... Uh, everyone has a unique journey to get to their career, and I feel like mine perhaps the most uniquest of them all, <laughs> at least to me it is. Well, perfect. Yes, I love the uniqueness. It's one of the things that that um, drew me to having you on the show and for us being able to talk about it. We have a, a, a marketing board together and we've been able to interact in a number of different scenarios. But, you know, just seeing your background, um, kind of how you have climbed the ladder, how you've taken a slightly different approach than others have is worthy of getting you on here to talk to other people. As you know, we talk to a lot of executives that are trying to find their way through their careers. And I think you can be a great uh, story on how to do this from sometimes an alternative route. So, so let's just dive right in and, and start with the beginning. So you didn't take the traditional path. You didn't take a, you know, a account manager's role at a small company. You didn't come in as a program manager someplace or as a product person. You like, you jumped off the cliff right out of college. Like, tell us about that first gig, because I think this sets up everything else you did afterwards. Yeah, it was interesting. I yeah, I graduated um, with a degree in finance and a degree in philosophy. And the you know the finance job seemed pretty boring, um, and the philosophy degree seemed pretty um, poor. And so I thought, well, why not combine these two things and create a bureau, uh, a speaker's bureau? Because uh, at that time is, you know, 99 and, you know, there's a lot of ideas around commerce and, and marketing and the internet and what's that all going to do. And so we went out and started speaking. And I can tell you what, if you're just out of college and someone offers you $1,500 to do a 30 minute presentation plus expenses, you feel like you're just the richest man in the world. Yeah. And uh, we ended up doing a lot of work with um, smaller credit unions and banks and stuff like that. And then one of our clients ended up at Microsoft 
and uh, at the MSN division, and uh, he called us up and said, hey, I want you to come up to Redmond. Uh, I need your help doing some sales enablement hmm. work, and uh, what can you do? And we flew up, did a hour-long meeting, and I was hooked. I loved it there. Uh, it was, you know, you know, early 20s. It was MSN. The internet was just like really, I mean, they're literally hiring people who would selling yellow page ads uh, and getting them to talk to about what the internet was. And then from there, that started a whole cascading, you know, uh, series of events that changed my life. Well, what's, what's fascinating about that was one, I mean, taking, taking the risk to begin with, right? Because most people would look at it and go, okay, well, I've, I've got to go start my career. I need to go in and get into one of these bigger organizations and start doing something. And you took a slightly alternative path and said, I'm going to go in and build something on my own. And then, you know, you have this joy around doing it, right? You're, I love your idea of like, hey, if I'm getting paid 1500 bucks to speak, like, how amazing is that? And then you took that enthusiasm and landed Microsoft. I mean, at a very young age. So you're, and to some degree, you're like, you're over your skis a little bit because you're just trying to figure this out. And all of a sudden, Microsoft is one of your clients. Like, that's a, that's a good problem to have, but that's also kind of a scary place, right? It, it was a very scary place. Um, what would happen after a speech, the way I would evaluate a speech is how many other speeches did you get from it? And then what someone would do, they'd come up and say, hey, Eric, this thing you're talking about is really interesting. Can you come talk to my board? Or can you talk to my senior leadership team? We're having a planning session. And then that turned into, hey, can you help us do our planning around this particular topic? Yeah. And then to your point, I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't do strategic planning. I'm 24 years old. Uh, and so you quickly had to figure out, like I remember even at Microsoft, I had this thought of like, am I the only one making this up? Like, I have no idea what I'm doing. And then I realized, no, no one's done this before. Like, there's no playbook here. We're all making it up. Yeah. And, you know, you just go with what you're, you, you go with your gut and you, you know, sit on a couple of principles and you hope for the best. Well, and, uh, and I'm going to move through the career here fairly quickly. And then I want to come back and like talk on a couple of key points here. But I think it's that enthusiasm then that, that drove you through this to land a really like really great company CMO role, which you took, you know, granted it's like 16 years after this, right? But as you grew the company, you ended up at, let's, let's talk about your CMO gig. Yeah, that's right. So fast forward through all the agency world, uh, one of our clients uh, took on the CEO role at Rocket Fuel and uh, came to me and said, hey, do you want to you want to run marketing. And at the time, it was a really interesting idea because I never thought of myself as a traditional marketer. Um, the agency work we did was mostly around strategy and positioning. And, um, you know, I felt really good about that. Like, we wrote some of the best speeches and best positioning for, you know, all tech leaders. And to move into a role where suddenly you're sitting over functional teams was, 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 was really, was, was intense. Um, I used to joke that like, you know, we'd come down and 
you know, land a, a recommendation like all consultants do. And then you're on a plane before the real work happens. And suddenly the plane's not there and I have to do the work. And <laughs> there's all these people like my agency was 15 people. And now I've got 40 in corporate marketing alone, let alone, you know, product marketing and, you know, sales, uh, you know, all the, you know, kind of like sales enablement and various groups around the company at a global level and saying, well, what do you do? Yeah. Well, so here's, here's the theme that's already starting to emerge is, um, you know, you come from college, you go in, you start this new thing, you make it work, right? Then you land Microsoft and then you have this sort of like, oh shit moment. And then you make it work, right? And then you come in and you get this opportunity to go in and become the CMO of, of Rocket Fuel and it's completely different, but then you come in and you make it work, right? And then you go on to percolate and then you go on and now you're doing executive strategy at, at Yesler, right? So you're, you've taken these transitions and you're already, I'm already seeing like a, a persona here of, okay, you get into something and you, you find a way through it, you make it work. Yeah, you do. And what I have found is, um, you know, when you land at a new job, or you land in a gig or anything you're doing, I, I feel like a lot of people have this like intense need to prove value right away. Um, like, Oh, okay. So it's my first week. I got to show off. I got to be like the, you know, I got to kind of show that they, you know, they, they shouldn't have buyer's remorse. And in the agency world, as well as, you know, especially in the corporate world is they've already made the decision. They've already made their bet with you. And so the first thing I would do when I'd come in is just breathe and assume that a lot of the answers were already in the room. We just need to kind of extract them out. Uh, and, and, you know, that's kind of through everything. And, you know, I always ask, like when I was at Rocket Fuel, and, and I've done this too, some of our clients, I mean, we work with huge tech clients, like, you know, publishers like BBC, um, you know, Yahoo and Google and Adobe. And what I would tend to do is ask the same questions over and over and over again as I went through the organization. We certainly did this at Rocket Fuel. And I would say, you know, wh what did we want to be? What's, what, you know, and, and, and what was interesting is when people would say, well, we want to be a billion dollar company. I remember Omniture when they got bought by Adobe. That was the big goal. We want to be a billion dollar company. And I was like, well, I mean, I really like those guys. They've done a great job of that business. But I thought that was a weird aspiration. I mean, it's a good aspiration, a billion bucks. But, but what do you want to be in service of? Like, what are you going to change? And then that's number one. Um, and so if it's a numeric answer, I, I, I worry that maybe they're not thinking about the customer. Yeah. Um, and, then in, and then the second question is just this idea of like, well, where do you – where do you end up playing? Like, who do you sell to? And like, who, who's that person that you know, you'll never lose the deal to, you know, who should we always be happy? You know, who should always be happy with us? And it's interesting. You go around an organization and you just hear so many different versions of that truth. Uh, I remember at rocket fuel, the thing that shocked me and it was easily fixed. And, and guys, this happened at Microsoft. It happened at, um, you know, every company I went into is the buyer persona and marketing and the sales persona and sales and the user persona and the product teams were all very different. And they, I, I was just like, well, what the heck? Like, how are we saying that this is the best person when we can't even agree internally of who, yeah. who that is? 
Um, and then other questions like, well, how, how will we win? You know, like, what do we do better than anybody else? Why is this, you know, why should anyone care? If you just kind of answer those three questions, um, or you just listen, then that reveals so much about the organization and where they are and really kind of what you need to do to take it to the next level. So what was really great about, about hearing that was, I think, not most people, I think just everybody, their natural inclination is to be a bright shining star the second they walk in the door of a new place. Like this internal pressure of, okay, now I've got to go in and I'm here and I've got to do something great. And I can't tell you how many meetings I've been in with people who have been there like their first day and they're anxious and they're trying to show that they've got some value here. And it's like, dude, relax. Like it's your first day, right? It's, but I think we all have this energy that we want to put out there. So your insight of like, okay, well, look, they've made the decision. They've already bought, right? There's no buyer's remorse. Just breathe is really key. And while it sounds simple, right? Great ideas often are. It's just sit down and take a breath. And then I loved your three questions here on what that reveals within the organization and how often there's discord, right? Or a disconnect between the teams. Oh, I think I'm going after this. No, I think I'm going after this, right? It's true, especially if you're in an organization where you want to be, you know, customer design, marketing led. And if you can get somebody, you know, if you can get people to believe that, like really, truly like customer design, marketing led, well, what does that mean? And for the CMO, it means, I mean, there's a lot of weight on the CMO now. And so if you come into an organization and I've met many CMOs who sit in organizations that are customer designed and product led or customer design and sales led to really be market led, like the market and market team is understanding the marketplace. And what is that need that we need to go fulfill Hmm. that is going to create value? And do we, in our job as CMOs, is to be that strategic and also to be that voice of the marketplace back into the organization. And, you know, my favorite thing at rocket fuel that we did by far was we separated out our product management and product marketing. So you sat under a product team and we separated them out. We said product management is going to sit under engineering and product marketing is going to sit underneath marketing. And we had very clear defined, go to market gates. And one of them, uh, just a a random one, one of them is uh, I said for something to be generally available, it needs to be referenceable. So we need to have a PR quote or something like a customer has to do it. And then the engineering teams and the product management teams would get so upset with me. They're like, Hey, come on, we're ready to launch this. This is like, I was like, yeah, it's data open. Like it's great, (laughs) but it's not GA. They're like, what do you mean? It's not GA. It's like, well, you're telling me out of all of these customers, you cannot get one person to come out and say it's good, you know, publicly. Um, come on, try a little harder. And, you know, but it really put that discipline, that constructive tension in, in the place because otherwise, you know, you just get random acts of product getting thrown out yeah. into the, into the marketplace and the CMO owns the market. Uh, and we have to be very careful about when and where things land. And, um, yeah, I just think it's a really, you know, but, but you can't get there unless you have that kind of thinking and that idea of like we're customer design marketing led. 
Well, in, in one of the the presentations that I give and and the uh, talks that I give to companies is this thing where I call what used to be called marketing, right? Because I think the marketing organization has evolved into this strategic hub for organizations, if they'll allow it, where marketing can come in and actually be the sort of driver because we have this great connection with the customer where we can feed that information in. And, and you're sort of echoing that to say, look, and I love this with, especially with GA, right? If you can't find a customer that's willing to stand up and say, we believe in this, well, the, it's just product noise, right? And so, that's right. yeah, so marketing can play this really amazing role in organizations of being this focal point, right? To sort of steer and guide the rest of the, the company, product, sales, et cetera. But marketing has to, one, take that responsibility. Two, the organization needs to allow it. And three, then marketing has to own it and be responsible for it and, and take that responsibility and, and uh, bear that mantle. Yeah, I think I, I agree with you. And every organization is different. Um, I think the role of the CMO is the most ambiguous role ever. Um, and I can tell you, if you go to like an engineering conference, they don't have like this weird, like, what's the role of head of engineering? Or, you know, you don't go to like a CFO <laughs> conference and they're like, yeah, we're so confused. What, what, you know, our job, where do we stop and start? And I mean, like marketers are the only ones with this identity problem and it changes in every org. And, you know, I think part of that is getting in there and being really clear about what it is. I can tell you, like when people have asked me to, to join and, you know, I've had a couple of CEOs where I've asked them to define, you know, the role of marketing and a lot of it, you know, well, you own the brand and you own a couple other things and, you know, and that to me is fine. It, it, it sounds, it's not customer design marketing led. That's, we need some marketing help. Yeah. And, um, and it's just a real difference. And that's, you know, that's an education that we have to do with, um, you know, CEOs, I love the, the, the tension between the CFO and, and, and CMO. I think that's a really fun one. Um, one of my rants for CMOs is like, how do we measure success? Like, I, I don't get it. Like on sales, it's really easy. You know, hey, this is the number of meetings we did. We put together these many RFPs and we attended this and that, and that, and we, you know, and then that kind of gets predictive. You know, marketing has so many weird vanity metrics that are not helpful, uh, except maybe to marketers, uh, that, you know, people get lost. And, and my, my rant, sorry, this will be my quick rant on marketers, is I think marketers are really good at staying busy and getting tasks done. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, I, every marketing team I walk into, like, they're busy, 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 busy. And it's like, well, but I don't know if it's like all adding up. And it's not the marketer's fault. Like they're just like trying to, they're downstream business as usual, just trying to like jam stuff out. Like, Hey, that got ordered. That thing got done. We did the webinar, blah, blah, blah. And I found like the middle management and certainly the, the senior management has this big vision and strategy, but that middle layer just, it falls apart. Hmm. And the number one question people ask me, uh, my fellows, you know, CMOs, they say, Eric, how do you do planning? And then once the plan is done, how do you revisit it throughout the quarter or the week? And I'm like, well, the day. And I think that just kind of shows the level of ambiguity in the role of CMO and how we get stuff done. One of the things that I love 
about C-Suite Radio is our sponsors. That's right. It's those people that help us do what we do best by investing their time, effort, energy, and frankly, money to help make this thing get off the ground. So I would appreciate you taking a quick listen to our sponsor today. Thanks for listening to our sponsor. Now back to our conversation with Eric. Yeah, it was uh, it was actually a joke I made to somebody even this morning where I said I was talking to another organization and and I said so what's you know what's your strategy and they're like oh well our strategy is thirty three percent growth by the end of the year and I was like yeah okay that's a goal right that's sort of like your we want to be a billion dollar company right that's that's a great mindset to have that you want to have this growth and you want to hit this mile marker but that's not planning and that's not a strategy and that's not getting in there and actually understanding the role of marketing, what marketing needs to do and how marketing needs to move it forward. To your point too, you talked about sales. Sales is kind of cut and dry, right? You, you met your number or you didn't, right? It's black or white. You can come up with all shades of why you didn't and what happened, but there's a revenue number to be held to. Marketing does get caught up in the vanity metrics and we do end up talking about, well, we had so many touches and these many impressions and our share of voice is increased. And I think most executives that just falls on deaf ears makes marketing look bad. And it's not a metric that actually drives value, which is, did we drive revenue? Did we drive acquisition? Did we make an impact in the customer? Did we get people to buy it and enjoy it and use our products and services? And typically marketing is not really connected into that level. It's not. And especially if the company's not doing well, there's a panic. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, it, yeah, they say, well, hmm, the bookings aren't good or the you know, revenue's down. Marketing, what have you been doing? And then whatever the answer is or whatever you have been doing, your best answer is, well, we'll just do more. Uh, and, yeah, and you hear that from executives all the time. Well, you know, just do more events, more VIP stuff, you know, more, more, more. And there's that great saying, you know, if you're lost in the woods, uh, running doesn't help. And... <laughs> I, you know, and I, and that gets back to the, the, the planning process. Like I see people like, you know, we go to an offsite and we do Kumbaya and we do like the whiteboards and we have someone facilitated and, and then we come back and we get down back to that business as usual um, business. And I think like the, the ability to affect change really comes into a leader, uh, and, the leader's ability to take small teams and make them do interesting work that has a specific time and a specific budget and a specific outcome and to see if it works. And, you know, and just being true to a plan because man, oh man, I mean, I don't know how many offsites people go to, but it's always like, Hey, we're going to reset the strategy. It's like, well, then it's not a strategy. If you're resetting it every six months. Yeah. um, It's just a mess. Yeah, that's when that's when you see companies that are just starting to like pivot wildly and you see the the panic, the anxiety come in. Um, and that's that fear, right? It's that fear comes into it where, okay, we haven't met the immediate goal or the immediate like uh, dopamine receptor sort of thing. We haven't gotten that rush that we were looking for. So let's go change and go look someplace else instead of letting things mature yeah. and, and trusting in the market and trusting in your teams and trusting that you're making the right decisions and giving it time to mature and evaluate it as you go along. Yeah, it's risky. I mean, it's super risky. And mm. people, you know, you know, there's this, this is um, Elijah Goldrock uh, wrote, 
you know, um, improvement is always change, but change is not always improvement. But change is always a source of fear. And it, you know, it's powerful. When I went into rocket fuel, the numbers were so goofy. I unplugged the marketing machine. I just like, you know, unplugged it all. And like, well, I'm just going to see what happens because I don't believe any of this is, you know, there's a lot of activity, but I don't think it actually matters in any meaningful way. Hmm. Um, And it didn't, you know, and then we had to build it from the ground up and, you know, people were freaking out. Um, You know, there's plenty of people who just quit. Uh, a lot of people coming to me like, ah, what's going on? And, you know, I think one of the things that CMO has to do is I call it running for Congress. Meaning the biggest difference between being a agency person and being an operator is that we're constantly campaigning internally and 30 minute meetings, like, and, it, you know, and I would do it in small groups. Um, one to ones, one to fuse, you know, you know, different all hands. And I would just keep saying stuff over and over and over again. Um, again, trying to be consistent so that everybody's on the same page. We ruminate on it. We stew, we listen, we're in the, our executive staff meetings, we get the strategy and then we throw it up in an all hands in two seconds, which is like, you know, two seconds of a 90 minute meeting and, you know, we, we check the box like, yep, we've communicated to the teams about our, our strategy. No one remembers. And yeah. so you constantly have to be like running, you know, is running for office, getting everyone on board with your plan. Um, Cause even though companies top down, you need them to really buy in. Yeah. Um, and, you know, being very clear and very open with motive. Uh, and what's funny about that, uh, uh, that, that experience, Todd, is like going all the way back to the beginning of what we talked about when I started my first agency is because we were a communications agency, an ex-philosophy student. I was a big study of Aristotle's and, and, and Plato and the dialectic method and, and this idea of just asking questions and letting people realize that they already have the answer. It's such a powerful way than just cramming it down their throat and persuading people, you know, as they get excited about stuff and they want to move forward. Um, Cause that's what you want to do. Like the best thing you'll ever do in your career is find someone who can just replace you. Like when you have made yourself obsolete, you have hit Nirvana. Um, and I, you know, I strive for that all the time. Like I used to think, you know, surround yourself that has, you know, complimentary, like, Oh, I'm not good at this. I'm going to hire someone who does that. Yeah, that's really good. But then try to hire someone and grow the person who can outdo your superpower. And once you've done that, then you can transition on, you can move, you know, move forward. Yeah. Um, and that, that creates legacy and scale and, it's interesting you bring that up because it's almost counterintuitive to most people's mindset, which is I, I need to be irreplaceable, indispensable that, you know, I want this to all evolve around me. Whereas you're saying, okay, once you do that, you can go, you can move up into the organization. You can go tackle a new problem. I mean, what's, what's great with you and your career in particular was you, you had a series of challenges that were presented to you as the next thing, right? We talked about you just go into something and you're like, okay, there's that little freak out of like, all right, what do I do now? And then you make it work and then you move on to the next thing. 
And so you've grown and evolved into a place that's radically different than where you were in 2000, right? Because you've yeah. challenged yourself and you've pushed yourself into these uncomfortable places. If you were the indispensable piece at any one of those, we probably wouldn't be sitting here talking today because you'd be back in that spot trying to figure out how to operationalize whatever it was you were facing. Yeah, you're absolutely right. The, the uh, thing is, this, this, this actually, the thing comes from the Navy SEALs, but I absolutely love it. It's two is one, one is none. Two is one, one is none. If I have two of something, I only have one of it. If I have one of it, I don't have it at all. And, um, and so the way I've internalized that is if you're the only one with that skill or that knowledge or that thing, you're no longer an asset, you're a liability. And so what I encourage everyone to do is each one teach one. Uh, if you're an expert at, you know, demand generation, then I want you to go talk to the comps people and explain a little bit about your world. And then I want you to get someone else who understands everything that you do on your team. Uh, if you, you know, as an example, and so we need everyone, you know, and, and it's a really hard thing for people to, to do. Cause if you have an employee who has an ego and they walk in, they're strutting in, they're like, yeah, but you know, I'm the only one who knows this account or I'm the only one who knows this thing about the product or I'm the only AI developer or whatever. Yeah. I immediately look at them and say, you're a liability and I've got to figure out, like, I just treat you very differently. And if you, you know, but if I see someone coming in and saying, Hey, I just took so-and-so on this and they, you know, like I'm doing lunch and learns or I'm, you know, I always bring, you know, I always bring someone with me when I go, you know, talk to a customer or I go to, you know, people who go to conferences by themselves, waste of time. Like always take two people. And, you know, it's just this idea of, of, um, you know, it's not just about like hedging your bets. But it's also to your point about allowing you to move forward. Yeah. Um, and, you know, who wants to be like, I don't want to be doing the stuff that I was doing when I was, you know, 20 years ago. No, that's good. So uh, I want to, uh, we're going to run short on time because these things always go faster and, and you, you know, you sort of blink and like the time's almost up. But I want to spend a little bit of time and we've kind of touched on this a little bit about your network and how you've grown your network over, over your career. So again, what's interesting is you've had these big transitions. You've had these opportunities of like going in and landing and expanding into Microsoft and building this great infrastructure relationship with Microsoft. And you've gone in and worked in these different organizations. And now you're at this amazing agency. Talk to us a little bit about how you're thinking about your network and what your network has allowed you to do, because you don't think of it as just, okay, here's a number of business cards that I have in my proverbial Rolodex, whatever the hell a Rolodex is anymore. And, and you're not looking at it as just, well, how many meetings can I take or how many coffees could I meet with somebody? I mean, you really have grown a network and you nurture it like it's, it's a part of your career that I think is different than how most people are thinking of network. Yeah, you're, it's a really big piece. And, and out of everything, it's the only asset you really have is the people you know. Um, and the, you know, when I was at Microsoft as a, as a vendor, you know, that's all I was, was just a vendor, lovely guy. They paid me some money and I'd do a thing for them. And, you know, through that, I would, I would, you know, I was in the sales enablement 
function. But, and then I was like talking to the marketing people. I was like, oh, what do you do? And, you know, the sense of curiosity. I noticed that most people, in the, in, when they're too busy, they're not curious about what other people are doing. They're just trying to figure out how they get their own work done. Yeah. And when you show a sense of curiosity and then you can ask how you can help, then you start to cross-pollinate. Now, for me as a vendor at Microsoft, what that allowed me to do is suddenly I moved from sales enablement to marketing to product marketing. And then the, the, the executives figured out that we were really good at writing speeches. Um, and so we ended up writing for all the executives at Microsoft. I mean, the, you know, all of them. Um, and the stories I have there are pretty funny. <laughs> and it was through that network of people, you know, people leave their jobs, Someone ended up at Omniture uh, and then Adobe bought Omniture and we ended up at Adobe. We wrote all the, the uh, Adobe summits from you know 2010 to 2016. And then you get to meet more people there. And again, that curiosity goes. And then suddenly someone from Adobe ends up at Yahoo or Google and they just bring you along because they always want to be with the people they, they trust and that have a sense of curiosity and, and what they're doing. And I think that, you know, hmm. for me, it was survival. Like if I did not have that, then if I only just sat there and said, well, I'm just going to get the work that was handed to me, then, then you're at the beck and call. And I see a lot of people who kind of grew up in the corporate environment. Like I have no idea what that team does over there. I only know what my job is. And you're missing out on all these great assets in, a, in an organization and where they're going to go. And so you know, it's, it's a lot of fun. I spend a lot of time at coffees. I spend a lot of time having a good IPA with people. And, um, you know, I love learning about what people are doing and, um, you know, we're all, you know, our careers aren't that long and we're all trying to figure it out and we're having them ball. And if you're not like for me, the way I look at who I want to work with or what I want to do is always around the people. Like, always about the people, you know, like, who are they, who am I going to be working with? What are we going to be working on? And then we'll figure out the rest of the stuff. We'll figure out the money and all, all, all that jazz. But, um, you know, I'll tell you one thing. It's kind of funny. Uh, one year I was, uh, you know, one summer I was working from home a lot and this was during the rocket fuel time and uh, we were selling the company and it was a pretty stressful summer. And I, you know, my children at that time, I think were like five and seven or six and four. And my daughter said, you know, you get that weird question from them. Like, what do you do? You know, cause they're home now. Now they can hear me. I said, uh, you know, I write emails and do meetings. That's what I do. And she said, well, you laugh all day long. What's so funny that you're doing? And I was like, oh, that's really funny that that's your perception of yeah. my work is that I'm just laughing. And it goes to show you that even in stressful times when you're trying to take a deal, and you're trying to do a thing and yeah, there's time to concentrate, but I really do enjoy the people I work with and that's an authentic thing. And then that shows up in your network and then that network will take care of you. And when I started my second agency, we had 20 MSAs, master service agreements, with the biggest companies in, you know, in the world, uh, in the first 30 days, this is, you know, because people are like, Oh, Hey, you start a new agency. Hey, we want to do some stuff with you. Um, yeah. So it's, 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 the network is it. Um, and you'll never get a chance to rebuild it. It's the only thing that you have that's truly yours. Well, it's, it, 
So people are signing up to work with you because you're a known quantity, you're curious, you're interested. Yeah, you clearly have the skill set and you clearly have the background, but a lot of people do, but they know and trust you and that uh, that can't be uh, underestimated, right? And I, and I think a lot of people do. I think a lot of people look at it and like, oh, you know, I'm just going to write a better white paper or I'm going to talk about how great I am versus somebody knows you and knows Eric and has a relationship with Eric, they're going to pick you every time. Yeah, they just don't, you know, some people just don't show up. And we know who they are because you think back through your week, like, who did you meet with? And there's some people that are just literally, you don't remember at all. Um, And it's not because they're not doing bad work. It's just that they're just kind of, you know, they're just not showing up. And... Um, and then when I see someone who's switched on, I'm like attracted to them. Like, okay, I just want to go party with this person. I want to go do something. <laughs> and, um, you know, and then that tends to be your best work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm going to recap a little bit because I heard some things here that I, I, I just love. So right off the bat, you know, you taking this leap to go in and try something new and unique right out of school. And then coming in and having this, you know, opportunity to come in and land Microsoft and then landing and expanding that, but doing it in such a way that was authentic to who you were, right? And authentic's an overused word these days. Everyone's talking about being authentic and being transparent and da, da, da. But you, you have this native curiosity about people and that's really attractive. And I think you go into a place like Microsoft and you're curious about what's happening around you that you naturally build up this amazing network of people. And that network then expands and grows and lands you in new and unique, interesting places and has led you on this amazing career. While you've done that, you sat down and took a really hard look at the role of marketing and how marketing can and should lead organizations and what that really looks like and does it in a way that is impactful to the organization. So not just the vanity metrics we talked about, but in a way that really drives the organization forward and is very focused on the customer and and the path that marketing can take to do that. Um, You talked a lot about, and I loved your idea of the, or the, your notions around the identity problem with CMOs, right? That, and this is true, right? Every other organization, like CFOs aren't navel-gazing and going, what are my responsibilities? Like CFOs know what they're responsible for. Every marketer that I talk to is like, uh, I think I know what I'm responsible for, but I'm not really sure, or it's a little fuzzy around the edges. And I think that's a native problem with, with CMOs that you call that really well. And then, you know, the one thing that I loved, and we talked about this, your idea of just showing up Um, having faith in the process, taking a breath, asking really great, curious questions, and then finding that person that can come in and take over for you so that you can move on to the next thing. You can go in and evolve. And you're also, from a leadership perspective, not that liability, which is so key. Because you have to be a little suspect of that person that is almost holding you hostage because they're saying, look, I'm the only one that can do this. Well, if you decide to leave me, right? I'm now in an awkward position. And so your notion of, all right, let's train our replacement so that we've got somebody to come in and um, I can then put you into something new, interesting and exciting in the organization makes that person really attractive as a, as a utility player and, and a leader in the organization. Good recap. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, it's it's easy when you got good material, right? I mean, <laughs> look, you you this is why I had you on. You you had this amazing career. You've had these fantastic roles. Um, you've earned your way to a seat at the table, right? It wasn't just like an accident that happened, but you you let it fall somewhat naturally as well because you just have this native curiosity. You're interested in people. You want to find out what makes them tick. And that curiosity has led you into some really amazing places because people sense that and want to, they're attracted to that. They want to be a part of that. And, and that is... Um, I, I think worth, worth more than most people put into, I just want to be the smartest person in the room, or I just want to be an expert in my thing. That's great. But that curiosity leads people to want to work with you. And that's worth its weight in gold. Yeah, that's right. You'll never be the smartest person in the room. <laughs> there's, always, there's always smarter. Um, I've learned that. Yeah, that's true too. Well, Eric, was there anything that we didn't cover today? Any last thoughts? Anything you wanted to throw out there? No, Todd, I think this is this is good. You know, the one piece I would, you know, I'm going to recap a quick conversation. I used to write for Balmer, uh, Steve Balmer at, at Microsoft. And um, he's an interesting guy, but he said one thing that to me that was just really interesting. I said, you know, why do you want us to help you? You know, you have a staff and you got plenty of people that, you know, give you content. And he said, you know, when I go to go talk to Ford or I go talk to the advertising community or I go talk to that, everyone weighs in. And at the end of the day, I feel like I'm the average of everyone's agenda. And I thought that was a really insightful moment uh, for a CEO of, you know, a really large company. And, you know, Balmer's bombastic and he's absolutely crazy. But I thought that was a really honest piece. And one of the things I would, you know, piece of advice I, I give to, to leaders is, you know, take, take the advice that you want um, and that you're willing to give. Uh, but you also have to take a stand and realize what, what really matters to you. Mm. And, um, you know, and don't be the average of everyone's agenda. Don't try to make everyone happy. Um, we're here in, you know, to, to, to grow companies and, you know, things will break and we have to be strong and committed and, you know, to that point about, you know, to find a strategy and really commit to it when it gets hard. All right. So don't be the average of everyone's agenda. That's going to be the pull quote for the interview. That was a, that's a great place to, to close on. So Eric, thank you for, for everything, for your insights, for your, your thoughts on this, for your, uh, for your genuineness and your enthusiasm. It was great having you on. I can understand why you laugh all day while you're talking to people, even under stressful circumstances, your uh, personality is infectious. So thanks for hopping on today and spending some time with us. And I'm sure the audience just loved hearing your, your take on your career and how they can start thinking about uh, how they're going to grow their, their own careers and, and uh, take those responsibilities themselves. So thanks for jumping on today. Thanks, Bob. Thank you. It was great listening to Eric today. I loved a couple of the things that he said really about being this intermediary between the organization and what the marketplace is looking for and how to be that voice of the marketplace back into the organization, give them those insights that they're really looking for. Um, I also loved how he had this idea of affecting change and how to build small teams and make it interesting for people to work on those teams and see impacted change within the organization instead of these, what we find in a lot of organizations, these big honking 
changes that the organization wants to make that never successfully get off the ground. So build a coalition, find ways to make it work, do it on a small scale and see some results. If you're interested in following Eric, and I suggest you do, you can find him on Eric Dewar on LinkedIn, and that's Eric-Dewar, D-U-E-R-R. He's a great person to follow, hear his point of view. He's also knocking it out of the park with his growth strategy leadership position at Yesler, and it was great to have him on the call today. Uh, Thank you so much. We're wrapping up our CMO series. We've got one or two more, and then we're going to move into our CEO series, so hang tight for that. And thank you for listening. Have a great week. You've been listening to the Founders Place podcast, the place where exceptional founders grow. For past episodes, blogs, and more, visit us at foundersplace.co. That's foundersplace.co. And thanks for listening to the Founders Place podcast, the place where exceptional founders grow. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.